Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg, I'm Luke Hector, and you're listening to The Broken Meeple. today's show, listen to my rants and raves about Arcadia Quest and Pirates the Card Game. I'll be discussing whether board gaming is regarded as an expensive hobby and is there any way to keep the cost down. And while on the subject of money, my top 10 list for today is top 10 games that give you the most bang for your buck. Hello and welcome and sorry for the gap in podcast this time. I was meant to put this out last week, but unfortunately I've been somewhat afflicted with a bit of a cold. Cold slash flu, hard to say really, but it's kind of impaired my ability to talk for a great deal of time, hence I'm having to essentially record this podcast in bits so that I can actually just keep my voice going. But hopefully I don't sound too bad now while I'm recording these parts and I should be able to get back up and running soon. Well, I hope soon. Anyway, I've got StabCon South convention this weekend, and I would like to be able to make it without infecting half the rest of the party. Well, maybe that would be better for a certain type of board game, but not for real life. As for what's going on at the moment, well, remember a while back I talked to you about a new podcast that I was involved with, The Order of the Damn Podcast? Well, it has been a while since we recorded that first pilot episode, and there's been a lot of toing and froing about whether it was family-friendly, what improvements need to be made, that kind of thing, and I believe it's still in the cards for actually, you know, putting it together and doing it as a regular thing, but there has been a substantial delay in trying to get hold of people in order to actually finalise it and see where we're going with it. So, that's kind of on the back bench for now, but I'm hoping it will continue because I would like to be able to do a podcast with multiple people at some point. It obviously sounds a little bit better than me just rabbiting on by myself for a while, so fingers crossed that will actually pick up and deliver at a later date. I mentioned StabCon South, that is the convention I'm going to this weekend. Well, I say convention, it's basically a gathering. It's essentially a hotel room that is rented out for Friday evening and Saturday and Sunday, and we just sit there and play games, whether it's down to the library from Mr. Tom Wintrell, who happens to run it, or whether it's everybody bringing their own games, we get quite a lot done in that time. So if you're anywhere near the Juries Inn in Southampton any time this weekend, I suggest you pop on down and give us a shout. It's free to get in, there's no cost, there's no ticket in advance. Just come along, you don't even have to bring games. Just come along and say hi. I'll be there. Probably all three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, although... We'll have to see. Maybe mornings might not be there. It depends. I do have other things to get done as well. Tabletop Day is coming soon in April, and regrettably, I'm not going to be available for it. Last year, it was a good day. I remember, I believe, I was doing a marathon on that. Yes, I did my 36-hour marathon on Tabletop Day because it coincided with the last year's StabCon South and a group that my Portsmouth group runs. Unfortunately, this year, that day is now the 11th of April and the only way I'm going to be able to play any games is with my girlfriend because my girlfriend has now moved up to Glasgow where her friends and new job is and it does mean that we're in a bit of a long distance relationship but still together so let's hope fingers crossed this will still work out but I'm going to visit her that weekend so if I'm playing any games it will probably just be maybe something like Forbidden Desert or Hanabi you know some of her favorite co-ops And I might be able to get a couple in just because it's tabletop day and I might be able to convince her for that. But in the end, I'm up there to see her. So whether I get any games done that day, I don't know. But certainly I'm not going to be involved in tabletop day as much as before. The following weekend, between the 3rd and 6th of April, I'm going to be at Insomnia. This is the UK's biggest gaming festival and it's held at the Rico Arena in Coventry. Now, the reason I'm going to be there is not because I'm just simply attending. It's because I am there as a volunteer to help out my associate, Nigel, and his gang with regards to GamesQuest, who host an event there and basically demo board games and run a couple of sort of funny competitions, that kind of thing. But obviously, if we get a chance to visit some of the video gaming-related exhibits there, then naturally we're going to do that because we all like to play video games as well. 
I've never been to this festival, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what it's all about and maybe possibly going as a normal guest next year. But for now, I'm going to help them out, so I'll be there demoing some board games, getting involved in some of the events, that kind of thing. And then when the event closes for the day, hopefully we'll have some fun and frolics and more board games in the evening. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be there on the night of the 2nd of April, probably to just help set up any last minute deals but obviously I've got to work that day so I can only leave work at so early and then from the 3rd to 6th of April I'll be there for the whole time so feel free to give me a shout and just mention that you listen to the Broken Meeple or read my blog when you see me there and I'll be glad to have a chat and maybe show you a game or two Due to my throat and everything else, I'm not doing much in the way of news for a new segment this week. But I will say this, if you want to get a good heads up on what games are coming out later this year, then I highly recommend you go to the Dice Tower on YouTube and check out their Gamma Trade Show videos. The Gamma Trade Show is essentially an event where retailers and designers and publishers meet up for one great big talk effectively like oh look at my game and look what we're going to do and that sort of thing and the dice tower crew went over there to do lots of interviews with each publisher to see what sort of stuff was bringing out and there's some quite juicy stuff coming out later this year and they've got videos for every single publisher that was there on it so i'm gonna have to bow down and let them handle the news i think for this time Go on their YouTube channel and check out their videos. They would do a damn sight better job than me telling you about what games are upcoming at the moment. Right, enough bladdering on. Let's get on with the first impressions. First, we're going to begin on a high note, and that's with Arcadia Quest, designed by Eric Lang and published by Asmodee and Cool Mini or Not. This was a highly successful Kickstarter when it came about, essentially being a slightly different style of dungeon crawl, where yes, you are controlling characters who can upgrade with items and experience, etc., and go out and kill monsters and complete missions, but there's also a slight PvP element in that you are able to essentially kill each other. Now you don't die for the entire campaign or anything, you essentially respawn and you might get curses after each mission depending on how often you've died. But essentially it plays like most other dungeon crawls. Here's your mission, here's the map of tiles, here's your guy, or should I say three guys, because in this one you actually draft three characters and use them throughout the campaign. And there's a lot of characters, particularly if you put some money into this game and get a lot of the promos that have been released, or if you were involved in the Kickstarter, you would have got some bonus ones. And I know that some retail stores are selling some of them separately. Now, the theme, again, like I say, is Dungeon Crawl, but it's very cartoony. I'd almost put this as a kind of cross between cartoon and chibi anime, if that makes any sense. You know, the kind of like small body, big head type deals. But it has got that very cartoony feel. And at first I thought this was going to be Descent for Kids. And, you know, why are we playing this game? But I got shown it and I was actually surprised by the fact that even though it looks like something that should be for kids, there's a lot of stuff in here that some kids probably wouldn't get. And there's plenty here for adults to enjoy. The gameplay does not take very long. You're lucky if you're playing each scenario for more than about an hour, say. Maybe slightly more, hour and a quarter when it's your first game and you're still learning. But... I mean, we were playing with three players and we got through two missions on the evening and we got through each one pretty quickly despite the fact that we had to set everything up and you had to teach us the rules. And all in all, it is good fun. There's good variety in the characters that you can have. I'm not convinced they're all balanced, but, you know, when you're rolling dice for combat and stuff like that, you have to accept that there is a little bit of luck and randomness involved in here. And at first, I did think there was a bit too much, but then it kind of balanced itself out over the course of the game and then I realised, well, you know, it's a simple dungeon crawl, it's going to have some luck in it, but it's just really fun, it's good fun to play. The theme is very humorous, uh, all the characters have got weird, sort of, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, 
weird sort of pictures. I mean, one of my characters, to put it in context, is what looks like something like a Donnie Darko or whatever. It's basically this giant bunny rabbit with massive teeth who essentially heals himself every time he kills someone. So I have turned him after a couple of games into this monstrous P, um, PvP killing machine who blatantly just goes around and hunts down heroes hoping to heal up after he goes munchies on them. It's And he's called Nibbles. A demonic bunny rabbit that goes around eating players called Nibbles. I mean, I just, t- I, t- I didn't even have to look at his ability. I just chose him based on that. A demonic bunny rabbit called Nibbles. That was enough. Most of the characters are human, though, but you do get that one, and there may be one or two others that are sort of less than human. But they range from melee combatants to defense to aggressive to spellcasters to ranged, like Legolas equivalents, that kind of thing. And one thing I will say about this. It's not a surprise that Asmodee and Cool Mini will not have made this, because I, oh my god, I haven't seen miniatures this good in a long time. They are chunky, they're bulky, they are all unique to every character on the board, and the monsters have all got their own different minis, and some of them just look so good. Well, to be honest, they all look gorgeous, but some of them in particular... I mean, the second mission, we had a troll and these beastmen who wielded giant sledgehammers. Now, at first, I just got told, oh, we need some uh, hammer beastmen. And I was thinking something out of Mario Brothers, you know, those uh, turtle things that chuck hammers at you or something. So I thought, okay, this won't be too bad. Instead, we get something that looks like a minotaur, giant minotaur. The model's like about, I don't know, like three inches tall or something stupid. And he's carrying this giant sledgehammer, and it's so detailed. And the troll's even better. He's got a backpack with, well, a sack around his back with a skeleton corpse in it. He's got all his facial features. He's bulky. And they're hard as nuts. They've all got their own combat stats. But it just looks so gorgeous. I really wish I got involved on this Kickstarter just to get half of these minis. It's not a game that I'm going to buy mainly because the main time I'm going to get to play it is with my friend Graham, who owns it and who's the one who told me it. Sorry, taught me it. Get the words right. But. I really enjoyed this. I had repercussions, not re. I had doubts at first, and I was slightly worried at the start with the luck involved in that. But as I played it a bit more, and we had our second game in that, I started to realise that this is actually a nice, simple but fun dungeon quest game with you know some hidden nuances and a ton of variety, and it just looks gorgeous. I mean, this will give games like Descent 2.0 and possibly even Star Wars Imperial Assault a run for their money when it comes to miniatures. Granted, I'm not saying that those two games have got bad miniatures, they're awesome, but this one, I don't know, I suppose it depends whether you like serious or cartoony miniatures, but these ones do look awesome, I wish they could just combine their efforts or something. But Arcadia Quest, I suggest you give it a try first before you buy Maybe, because if you're going to get into this game, it's going to be a money sink, because I don't think the base game's very cheap, and if you want to get all the additional heroes and characters and monsters and that, that's going to set you back a pretty penny as well. But I recommend giving this one a try if you haven't seen it already. Arcadia Quest. I'm looking forward to my next game. And now we're going to go to the opposite end of the scale with Pirates! Exclamation mark Card Game. Designed and self-published by Jules Prick, this is basically a tiny little card game which involves you building up your own fleet and conquering your enemies in what it's designed as an epic board game full of pirates, battles and adventures. Yeah, right. Epic is the wrong word to describe this game. Basically, all that happens is that you start off with this little ship and a hand of cards which basically will be either permanent upgrades to your ship or temporary ones each turn. And then another deck will flip over some cards and they will either be treasures that you can go after or they can be other ships for you to conquer and add to your fleet. In order to catch up with the ship, you have to have enough sail power or sailing stat, I suppose, to catch up with the ship. And then you have a little frenzy of die rolling to get past their cannons and also for your crew to board their ship and attack each other. And effectively what it devolves down to is chucking dice repeatedly, constantly, back and forth between you and whichever player wants to control the computer player effectively, or if you go after another player's ship which you can do that player themselves, and it is just roll dice, take off that many wounds. Roll dice, take off that many runes. You roll as many dice as you have people on the ship, and you carry on until one person is the outright loser of all their crew. So if you've got 10 ship 
sorry, if you've got a ship with 10 people on it fighting a ship with 12 people on it, you're rolling 10 dice and they're rolling 12. After the first round, you might have taken a couple of casualties, so you're rolling 8 dice, they might be rolling 9, say. And this carries on continuously until one person wins. And the treasure cards are a similar deal. You roll some dice and hope to get a certain symbol in order to claim the treasure. Victory points are based on whatever it says on the ship, which is usually one or two. With treasures, if you have the most, you get another victory point. But other than that, the treasures are entirely useless. And to be honest, they're not even worth going for, really. And this game is just a luck fest. And it's a luck fest that takes forever. This thing has a playing time of 30 minutes on the box. It does not take 30 minutes. I mean, granted, I was playing with a couple of people that were new to games and chronically AP. But we played this with a six-player count, and it took two hours. Two hours to play a game where all you do is flip some cards, choose one, and then roll a bucket load of dice constantly. That's it. There's no like major strategic decisions to make there's very little tactics because in the end it comes down to the dice anyway the game just drags on and on forever and fair enough this might be better with three or four players i understand that six is probably the worst number to play this game with but ugh, that's it flip some cards choose one roll dice 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 roll dice, roll dice, roll dice. <laughs> And then rinse and repeat for the next turn. And then wait forever to get to your turn. Assuming someone doesn't already attack you. This game is boring. Horrendously boring. And I believe this was also a Kickstarter game. How this funded, I have no idea. Possibly maybe because the funding was so cheap. It didn't require more than, say, five backers in order to get it funded. But this is not a good game. It's rated 6,672 on BoardGameGeek. So don't think that I'm alone in my thinking here. This was a waste of half a game evening, and I was not happy about it. The only thing that saved that game evening from being a complete waste of my time to drive all the way to Southampton and back was purely because I was able to play a nice four-player game of Sentinels the Multiverse straight after. We started with a game that was horrendously bad, and then ended with a game that was fantastically good, in my opinion. So... Yeah, not a good first impression, and to be honest, it's it's enough to seal the deal. I do not want to play this game ever again. I don't care how many players it is, I refuse to play this game. I've rated it a 2 on Board Game Geek. It's not the worst game I've ever played, because I suspect with less players it could probably be done quicker. But uh, there's just no game here. It's just a luck fest. And if I want to play a luck fest filler, I can think of so many better fillers. I'll bring out Love Letter. I'll bring out Roll Through the Ages. Uh, what else? I mean, well, Hanabi takes less time than this does, and that's not even a luck fest. Well, there's a bit of luck, but, you know, it still requires on some skill. It's... Uh, I, I don't even want to talk about this game anymore. It's that boring. It's that horrible. Pirates! Exclamation mark. Don't play it. Save the bother. Now, with regards to the discussion topic for today, is board gaming an expensive hobby? This has arisen not just because my top 10 list happens to be bang for your buck, which is in somewhat related terms, but it's more the fact that when people come around my flat and see my board game collection, now I have a reasonably large collection for a person living by himself. Now, I've seen people with massive collections compared to mine, so I'm in no ways like the guru of board game collections here. I mean, let's face it, especially compared to people in the US, they like to have a lot of games in their collection. But in my case, I do have quite a few. And I get asked a lot as to whether, you know, how much money I spend on those games. And I will admit, during 2014, there was a fair amount of money spent on those games. But then I don't have a lot of outgoings to worry about in terms of money. Some people will play golf and pay an absolute ton for a year's membership and that. In my case, most of my outgoings, if they're not related to bills, pretty much are solely devoted to you know meals out and the odd drink here and there, uh, the gym membership, which is only £35 a month, so it's hardly a massive outgoing, and occasional days out, really. There's not many outgoings that are purely just, you know, my personal activities and that. Because a lot of the stuff I do is relatively low in cost. 
particularly as I like to just see friends and get out and see the countryside, go out for walks and that. So maybe my biggest expense with regards to my personal dealings is fuel. So if I've got the spare cash from working as a tax accountant, then, well, I can afford to buy the board game, so I don't really mind it too much. But yeah, it was quite expensive for that first year because I was building up the IKEA Expedit shelf full of games. I needed to get my collection up to a point where I had the shelf 90% filled up and was in the state where if I got any more games, they would either squeeze into spaces or more than likely they would result in other games getting cold depending on whether I enjoyed them as much from playing them in the first year. Now, that's not to say that board gaming has to be expensive for everyone. So, from a non-gamer's perspective, you do not have to go out there and buy every game that's ever made just because someone tells you it's good. Think about who else has got that game. I mentioned Arcadia Quest earlier. Now, I believe that retails for something like 60 quid or something like that in the UK. Maybe slightly more, yes. I can't remember the price off the top of my head. But that's expensive for a game despite the fact that it looks gorgeous and has great miniatures, but it's an expensive game. It's a lot of money to fork out on just one box. But then I don't have to go out and buy it just because I thought it was a good game. Think about who else has it for a start. I said that my mate Graham has this. Now, Graham's a friend of mine who I play games with fairly often. So if he's got the game, why do I also need it? Might as well just meet up and play his copy. That way I've saved myself sixty, seventy pounds and you know, you give your appreciation for allowing them for them allowing you to play their game essentially. But on the flip side, I've got games that he doesn't own and likes to play, and so I've bought the game and it saves him money in that respect. But not everybody has to own a copy of all the good games. So if you're going to meet someone fairly often and they have a game you really like, just play their copy because I'm sure they're going to enjoy playing it with you just as much. You don't have to go nuts. Another way to think about it is also what size game you're going to buy. Now, you could go out and spend loads on these massive games full of tons of plastic and all this sort of thing, or you could just concentrate on the micro games. Micro games, as much as some people will call it a fad, it's here to stay. And not just counting the behemoth that is Love Letter, or, well, I say behemoth, the milked cow that is Love Letter. There are lots of micro games out there that are very good and very cheap. We're talking less than £15, possibly even less than a tenner for each game. They are very entertaining. Granted, they may not have the longevity compared to certain bigger games, but they're cheap. And they will last you a long time anyway. And if you get a few of them, maybe get them as stocking stuffers for Christmas or get the occasional one for a birthday or something, you're going to have a fairly good collection of micro games that people will be interested in playing. And there are smaller board games that don't cost very much that are pretty good in that respect. Um, Or semi-board games, I suppose. I mean, dice games, for example, tend to be quite cheap. If you're someone who likes dice, then maybe look into those. Uh, Roll Through the Ages, Bang the Dice Game, Liar's Dice. Those are free examples of cheap dice games. Not Roll for the Galaxy, because that's stupidly expensive. But you get what I'm saying. Small dice games can be cheap as well. So you don't have to buy the most expensive game that is out there. And you certainly don't have to have a copy of every game you've ever played just because you happen to like it. You need to set yourself a little bit of self-discipline when you're getting into the board game hobby to make certain that you don't go and splash out on everything that's ever made. Now, I know my experience is probably a little bit biased because, one, I had the spare money in 2014 to actually buy a ton of games and also join in the odd Kickstarter here and there. But now I get the occasional review copy from GamesQuest because I'm associated associated with their blog as well as my own so naturally some games i get for free and that's obviously different to what you know the average joe is going to have in terms of their games but that aside this is one thing i think of when i pay money for a board game board games will last a long time if you enjoy the game now think of a video game for example Video games cost anywhere between 30 to £50 for a game, possibly even more if you're talking console games. Certainly most PC games tend to be between 20 and 30 console games will be somewhere between 30 and 50 Now, a video game might last you 10 hours, max. You get some games that have got single-player campaigns that take pretty much the length of a... You know, you could f- watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy 
and probably complete the video game in less time than it took you to watch that trilogy. You know, they can be that short. Now, when something like that costs 40 to 50 pounds, I class that as expensive, to be honest. Yeah, there are some games where you can get tons of hours out of, and they're more cost-efficient. But a lot of video games, particularly the ones that don't have a decent multiplayer to back it up, will be very expensive. I paid £30, I think. No, not 30 about 25 ish max or something, for a digital copy of Alien Isolation. It's a really cool game, and if you like the Alien series, I recommend you get out and play it. But it lasted, hmm, I don't know, 10 to 15 hours? Maybe like that, before I completed the single-player campaign. And even though I've tried some of the special time trial stuff on it, I haven't necessarily picked the game up since then. So that's, you're talking £2, £2 an hour, something like that, for playing this game. But I'm never going to pick up the game again, unless I feel like doing one of those time trial things, because I've already completed it. Now, board games have a different story. Board games will last a lot longer mainly because they don't become outdated. I mean, think of some of the most classic games that everyone's played. You know, well, not everyone, but you get what I'm saying. You know, things like chess and Go, for example. How many years have those two games been around? But people still play it, and I will happily play a game of chess if given the opportunity. Now, games, other board games, are in the same thing. I might have bought a game last year and maybe only played it three or four times since I bought it. And it might have been a £50 game, so you, at first you'll think, well, that's like £12.50 a play. That's pretty expensive. But then, three years down the line, if I've still got the game, I can whip out and play it, and it'll still be as fun as when I played it before. And then, the more times I play it over time, the money per play, if you want to put it that way, will get less and less. Because board games are timeless. Board games will last as long as you want them to last. Think of them as a long-term investment. You might pay a fair bit of money to get the game now, but it's going to last you a long time if you're willing to keep the game. And think of all the games that you play that you're not paying money for. Like I'd said, Arcadia Quest, I don't need to buy it because my friend Graham already owns it. Now, every time I play Arcadia Quest, I'm effectively saving money on not having to have bought the game myself. So that makes up for the games that I've already bought and maybe not played as much. The board gaming hobby, your expense, your expenditure on the board gaming hobby, I think of as almost like a, a group thing of all the games you ever play. Particularly if you go to a board game group. You know, you are going to be playing games that you don't own constantly. But then you'll also play some games that you do own. But think of all the money you save on not having bought the games that you're playing that belong to someone else. Someone else has forked out the money for this. You didn't have to. So think of it as you're getting that for free. You could almost consider maybe that your £50 game that you've only played twice so far is made up for the fact that you've played at least another five different games twice each as well in the clubs. So think of it like you're spreading the cost of the game you've purchased over what you've done at other Um, other games at clubs and that effectively that your money is going towards your general appreciation of the hobby and not just the games that you yourself have personally bought I know that's kind of an abstract way of looking at it but it's one way that I justify the fact that I've spent a fair amount on board games and yet still want to continue and still want to pay more money towards them now I've gone a bit further and some of my money goes towards like pimping games up and you certainly don't have to do that. I don't advise that you spend loads of money pimping your games up and getting tons of sleeves and all these like extra inserts and stuff like that unless you are a massive fan of the game you're buying it for or you just happen to have some disposable income lying around and you're like me, you enjoy the hobby this much. But you don't have to think that this hobby is that expensive. You could own no games at all and go to a board game group and get your money, well, money's worth, you haven't spent anything, but you could get a lot of enjoyment. But then you might only spend money on buying maybe two or three games, and you'll play those a lot, and you'll get your money's worth on that, no problem. But then you're also getting your money's worth on the faces that you're playing games that other people own. So it all works out in the end. It's just a lot of people will think, oh my god, that box is worth £50, that's stupidly expensive. Yeah, buy yourself a PlayStation 4 buy a couple of games on that, complete them all within five hours apiece, and then tell me that £50 for this board game that lasts several years is not worth it. 
bearing in mind you've got to pay money for all that you know the console in the first place i don't have to buy you know well great you need a table but come on who hasn't got a table you know it's not like i factor my dining table as a cost in playing board games but playstation 4 and games on that you'd have to pay out hundreds of pounds just for the console before you're even able to play one of these games that takes you five hours to complete so in the end board gaming is a fairly expensive hobby but by no means is it like the most expensive hobby out there i would probably still say that golf is more expensive than you know board gaming to an extent and chances are you're not even going to meet as many people you know new and old when you're playing golf because most of the time if it's anything like my brother you're stuck on a golf course by yourself just whacking a ball across a green field woo you know maybe if golf had like you know monsters that came out of the holes or like you know a few you know stuff like that you know, big disasters happened all over the field and it was like one giant crazy golf dungeon crawl maybe that would be more fun but well as you can tell I don't particularly like golf but I'm just saying board gaming is expensive yes but board gaming is only that expensive if you go nuts when you shouldn't. You know, if you haven't got the money to spend on tons of board games, then don't buy all these board games. Try a few at a club. Buy one or two that you really like and are willing to keep for your own collection. But you don't have to go nuts and buy every single thing that is ever printed. So, yeah, board gaming is expensive, but some games are better than others at holding their value and giving you your bang for your buck. And, well, as you guessed it, that's a pretty poor segue into my top 10 list. Right, on with the top 10, and for this time we have top 10 games that give you the best bang for your buck. I've never had such a hard time putting the list together as I have this one, because there are so many different ways that you can determine whether a game gives you the bang for your buck. Some people will claim that Twilight Imperium 3 gives them bang for their buck, because you get so much in the game and it takes you about 6 hours to play each game. That's not necessarily bang for your buck. Yeah, you get a load of components and the games are long, but how often do you realistically play that game? How often? You know once every blue moon maybe once every two blue moons it's going to be quite rare some people will say it's based on cost for game played some people will say it's cost per hour played which I don't particularly like that way because just because I can play a game for ages at one occasion doesn't necessarily mean I got my money's worth out of it It, there's all sorts of factors that can play into it so what I've done is I've basically put together a list of 10 games that I believe give some good value for money and I'm not just talking about from my perspective some of these games I own and some of them I have played lots and lots and therefore believe that they give me the most bang for my buck but not every game on this list I own and I will certainly say that you know some games on here they may not be my most favorite games that I've got but I would say that anybody out there who's looking for a cheap game that's going to give them a fair bit of depth should at least have a look at these 10 and see how they go with it. So it is a bit of a weird list, I must admit. You know, nobody has really come up with a decent concrete, you know, top 10 bang for your buck list that I've really liked. There's going to be flaws with each and every one in this sort of case. But we'll just have to see how things go. The only other stipulation is that I have excluded any form of CCG, LCG or collectible game on this list. So, sorry, there is no Netrunners, no Lord of the Rings LCGs, no CCGs like Magic, certain, and no Marvel Dice Masters, I'm afraid, sorry, that is technically a collectible game, so that doesn't count because you never start with, you never just stay with the base, you always expand it. You know, these have to be as good as they can be out of the box without having to expand it to Lord knows what levels. Okay, let's make a start. And to begin with, we're going with a game that I was praising a lot during 2013, or around the end of that year anyway. It's gone down a little bit for me in recent months, it hasn't been able to get to the table as much, but I still think that for less than £20, this game gives you a fair amount of depth for what is a fairly small box Euro game, and that is Spirium. Spirium is a really cool little worker placement variant, I would call, game, where the cards that you play in a 3x3 grid 
are essentially the board where you put your workers and you put your workers in between the cards in order to activate the abilities later when you eventually get around to taking them off or you can take them off to gain money depending on how popular the card is with everyone else there's a really good amount of depth in this game and a surprising amount of replayability for something that is relatively cheap now it's not for everyone and i will say that you know after you'll get your money's worth out of it but i don't think it will last forever because i don't think this is ever going to get expanded so that's why it's number 10 but i still think that you're going to get a pretty good varied euro game for going for this one number 10 spirium Number 9 has certainly got enough plays out of me, mainly because it's a game that my girlfriend really liked and we took it on a camping trip once and played a lot of two-player games there, but it's worked well with many different groups and that's one reason why you're going to get your value out of this game, especially when it costs about a tenner max in order to get, and that's Hanabi. Hanabi is a really cool little co-op game where you have to get used to the fact that your cards are facing away from you and you have to work together by giving clues to the other players as to what's in their hand in order to put together a fireworks display. It's pretty abstract, but it's a nice little puzzle between you and your spouse or other people in a group up to four, I believe. I don't think you can do it with more than four, or I certainly wouldn't recommend doing it with more than four. And like I say, for about a tenner, you get this really cool thinky co-op game that's going to last you quite a long while while you're trying to get to that fabled 25 points without cheating. And yes, I'm pointing at all of you who claim that you've got 25 points and blatantly have cheated. You know, I know some of you have done it realistically, but there's a lot of people that I see going, ooh, I got 25 points, despite the fact that they pretty much spelled out every card that the opponent had as opposed to sticking by the rules. I don't know, call me a rules lawyer if you want, but to be honest, it's supposed to be a challenging game, and it is. It really is a challenge, if you play it properly. That's Hanabi number nine. Number eight is an interesting little tactical card game, which, again, you can pick up for around 15 quid, I believe, these days. You don't have to get the expansions for it. The base game will last you very nicely. comes in a nice little flip box if you get the yellow version, which is a damn sight better artwork as well, and that's Innovation. Innovation has you playing these various technology cards that have all these different abilities that go off and combo with each other as you're trying to get through the ages, you know, get better technologies and eventually win the game by the dominating ages or even just by fulfilling the condition on a particular card when you get to the later ages. But there's so much back and forth between you and your opponent as all these combos and abilities start going off and other players can benefit from your ones if they've got the same amount of symbols, shall we say, as yours. It's pretty abstract. And you can use ones to force opponents to, you know, force negative things on opponents. It's a really cool tactical card game. I love it to bits, and I wish I could get it to the table more often, I must admit. It's not the easiest one to teach to new players. They do need a couple of dummy games to get their head around how it works. But you find at least one or two maximum people who know what they're doing with this game, and this is going to last you a long time and give you a great deal of fun. Number eight, innovation. Number seven, and we're going for a, I suppose I would call it a party game, or party slash negotiation game, which can house a lot of players. If you want a game that's going to give you good value, you want to be able to use it in multiple scenarios, and this one is very good from usually around five players to the full eight players, but it certainly will give you enough value for its time, mainly because the dice in it are really nice and custom made and it is a good laugh and you'll be able to play it in about 15 minutes of time tops if you don't have AP people and it goes over really well and that is Bang the Dice Game. Bang the Dice Game replaced the card game for pretty much everybody who played the dice game version. The card game goes on for many days and months and years and never really gets to a conclusion. Bang the Dice Game, 15 minutes, boom, you're done and play again. 15 minutes, boom, you're done. And it's always going to be a different game depending on what group you play with or what roles everyone's playing. There's that nice little hidden element of like, oh, is he really on my side? I don't know. I'm going to shoot him anyway. And it does go over quite well. It's not the cheapest filler game in the world, but you can still pick it up for around the £15 marks or 15 to 18 max, and it will give you some really good games from that point on. Bang the dice game. Number six, and if you're going to call me a cheat for putting this on the list, then, well, call me a cheat. What do I care? This is my list. But I 
I could not put I could not not put this on the list. This is my all-time favorite game and from a personal perspective I have got a ton of plays out of this game and I love it the bits. Love it, love it, love it. But I would admit that the reason I haven't put it higher on the list is because one it's a slightly higher price point and two it might not necessarily be for everyone. And that is Sentinels of the Multiverse. Sentinels of the Multiverse is a superhero co-op game where every hero you play has its own deck and so do all the villains and so do all the environments. Now, yes, there's a ton of expansions for this, and you know, if you're anyone like me, you can put a ton of money into this game without realizing it, but the base set is £25 maximum, and I reckon you can actually get it for less if you find a second-hand copy, or one that's slightly damaged, or even just go on eBay. You could probably find one for less than £25. And 25 quid will get you, I believe, 10 heroes, and several villains, and several environments. There's so much variety in that base box that you need never buy an expansion unless you've really got into the game. And if you've really got into the game, then chances are you're getting your money's worth out of it anyway. So, you know, you're certainly getting the bang for the buck. But there's so much variety. There's lots of cards in that base set. And if you compare it to other deck builders where you tend to get a lot of cards, Dominion will set you back at least another fiver, if not another tenner. And you're not getting as much variety in that box. And it's a fairly themeless game, but I do enjoy Dominion. Marvel Legendary, that thing costs about twice as much as Sentinels in the Multiverse. And you're not getting as much variety in that one even, even though you do get quite a bit. This is really cheap for the price point. And... You do get so much out of this game. Honestly, I recommend it if you've not played it. But yes, it's more expensive than a fair few games on this list. Hence, it's not quite higher. But I had to put it on here somewhere. So Sentinels in the Multiverse, number six. Try it. Number five goes on the list because it's a really fun family co-op game that costs less than £20. And I would go as far as to say that you could probably pick it up for something like 50 13 pounds even i think you can get out for like 12 13 quid these days really cheap but you get some nice components in this box and it comes in a tin you know an embossed tin which is well i can take or leave but it will cater for many groups it's got plenty of variety it's got a good amount of nice family level depth and that's forbidden desert Forbidden Desert is a simple co-op game where you have crash landed in a desert and you've got to put your ship back together and get out of there before the sandstorm basically buries you alive. But all the tile placements will be different every game. The components are really cool as you put together this little plastic airship that's kind of, I suppose, almost steampunk-ish in design. And the mechanics work really well. And like I say, £13 to £15 for a game like that. You're getting your money's worth even after only a few plays out. You're getting your money's worth just by buying the game. The components in it are that good for £13. You know, I've seen plenty of games that cost more that come with worse components. So Game GameRite had a pretty good deal with this one. So Forbidden Desert, if you're looking for a decent family co-op game and you want something a little bit more well, a little bit more complex than Forbidden Island, which is also a good choice, but for me, I think the Forbidden Desert is better. Go for this one. Forbidden Desert number five. Number four is a game that a lot of people are probably not going to have heard of. I would say this is, alongside Spirium, this is probably going to be an unknown game on this list. It's a small game, cards, all about bluffing and deception, and there's no winner in it. You just have to avoid being the loser. That's Cockroach Poker Royal, or Kakalakan Poker, if you're going to pronounce the uh, long name that's on the title. But this game has you basically giving cards to other players that have got things like stink bug and cockroach and fly that sort of thing on it and you give a claim as to what the card is because you put it face down and you'll say this is a fly they then have a choice to either look at it and pass it to someone else and make the same or an entirely new claim about the card or they can call you out on it by saying that you're telling the truth or that you're lying if they are right you have to put the card in front of you and if they're wrong they have to the idea being that there is no winner in this game because the loser is whoever gets four of the same bug type in front of them so suddenly when somebody gets three flies in front of them everybody else is then piling on that guy to try and get him to have the fourth card and you don't have to feel like you're getting hosed in the game because there is no winner you can't go around and say i'm the best because i had less cards in front of me no it doesn't matter there's no winner it's just don't be the loser and it's great fun just looking people in the eye a la sheriff of nottingham style really and just lying to their face or telling the truth and just hoping that they think you're a liar 
in which case you might want to maybe reaffirm some of the facts about your friendship. But either way, it's a really good, fun little game, and you can pick it up for something like seven or eight quid. Number three is a really cool, unique card game. It's mainly for two players. You can play it with four, but I probably wouldn't recommend that unless everybody's bought a deck. But it's a really cool little game where all the graphics are pixelated, so take it or leave it as to whether you like that type of artwork or not. But this one's called Pixel Tactics. It is a head-to-head game where each person has the same deck of 25 cards, and they're basically 25 characters. And you put them in in these formations, which is three in the front row, three in the middle row, three in the back row, so front line, middle, and rear guard. And you'll put them in different places and try to kill your opponent's leader, and he's trying to do the same to you. What's really great about this game is that for about 10, 11 quid, you're getting these 25 character cards. And that doesn't sound like much, but each one has five different abilities on it. Five. It has an ability in hit point value if it's your leader. It has an ability if it's in the front. It has an ability in the middle. It has an ability in the rear. And it has an ability if you just play it as a sorcery card straight out of your hand. That's every single card has five different ways of using it. 25 times 5. There is so many different abilities that are in this game. And imagine that every game is going to have them in different locations. Different leaders are going to like work better with other her- uh, characters and others. Your opponent's going to have the same. I, I would have to say that it's physically impossible to play every combination that is in this game. It's just that varied for about 10 11 quid and not to mention did i mention this is like a brain burner it really is you're going to be there thinking oh what's the best tactical move i can play here you know i've got the assassin he does this in the front but i really want to use his rear guard ability well i haven't got room in the rear guard but hang on if i play this guy in the front he swaps around with him there's just so much tactical stuff you have to do in this game and it really is just one of those almost like those chess like games where you're you're really thinking about what to do with your opponent and it's down to the tactics there's only so much luck in this game because there's no dice so there is a tiny bit of luck of the draw depending on what characters you want at what particular times but most of it is thinking and tactics it's really cool Give it a look if you haven't seen it. Pixel Tactics, number three. Number two, and yeah, people would be crying foul if I didn't put this on the list somewhere. I mean, this game costs about £6 and will get played loads and loads of times because it just fits that niche of the simple-to-play, simple-to-teach filler that you can fit into any time slot, and that is Love Letter. Granted, it's not my favourite game on this list. I played it a lot, and I do enjoy it. But granted, it's probably, you know, you get to a point of overplaying it maybe, but it's £6. You're talking £6 for a game. It doesn't matter which edition you get, most of them are pretty much the same, just the odd little difference here and there. And you're going to be playing it constantly. For £6, you're going to get your money's worth easily with just the sheer amount of plays that you will do with this game. It's cheap, cheerful, easy to teach to anybody will be a great introduction for non-gamers and if even if you've like oh, i've only got 10 minutes before matey's gonna turn up we haven't got time for a game yes we have here's love letter that's why it deserves a high spot it needs it for recognition alone even if i'm not the biggest fan of the game even if it's not my favorite filler in the world i do enjoy it but it's not my favorite i have to admit this is the perfect bang for your buck filler game it well i say that there is one better And number one, a party filler game that you can play in five minutes tops, just like Love Letter. And granted, it requires a tiny bit of extra setup, but Love Letter will only play up to four players. And to be honest, you probably wouldn't want to play it with two players. It's better with three or four. This one works well with pretty much any number of players, even just three of you. Granted, it's better with more, but even three is not bad. And this can go up to 10 easily. So up to 10 players plays a massive group. You can play it in five minutes. All you need is a smartphone app in order to do the voiceover. Yes, of course, I'm talking about my favorite game from the last year, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. It's about £15 for the box, and you can pick up either one. There is an expansion, which is standalone, but I'd probably recommend picking up the first one to begin with. 
and well i've only just i've only recently started cataloging my plays i've already got 35 odd plays out of this game and granted you might think well that's only 35 times five minutes well it's not always five minutes i mean the game lengths have varied but the sheer amount of fun and negotiation madness that gets condensed into those five minutes as you're trying to figure out who's the werewolf and who's on your side and the stories that everyone's telling afterwards like oh i thought i was that and then you swapped with him and stuff so much laughter comes out of this game i really love the design of it it's so it's pretty easy to teach I mean, just start off with some basic villagers and some really simple characters, and it won't take even a non-gamer long to learn it. But it will play a massive group. The smartphone thing, I mean, you know, you might argue, well, you need a smartphone, that means you've got to spend money on that. If you don't own a smartphone, then seriously, where have you been living for the past 10 years? Smartphones are pretty much everywhere now. Somebody is going to have a smartphone. And the app is free, so you're not even paying for it. There, you're just buying the base set, and there you go. This will give you play after play after play and laughter galore. I could not not put this on the list. And when I thought about it long and hard, I had to accept that this really has been giving me the biggest bang for my buck. And I think it, as long as you like negotiation games, that's the thing. You have to, you know, if you don't like the genre, you're not going to like the game. But if you have any likeness for the negotiation genre, this is really going to be good value for your money. One Night Ultimate Werewolf takes the top spot. That's it for me for episode 28. My voice is struggling to keep up, I must admit. I had a bit of a fever the other day, which was a bit of a nightmare to get rid of, and I'm still not feeling fantastic now, but my throat is still slightly sore. It dries up quite easily. Uh, Hopefully I'll be able to shake this off in time for StabCon South. If not, at least hopefully it won't get in the way too much. Mainly I need to get it out of my system before next week's insomnia. That's the only thing I am worried about. But... At least for now, I can take a break before episode 29, obviously, when I'll have to do that next month. Haven't decided what I'm going to do subject-wise for that yet, but, well, there's plenty of ideas for a top 10. Until then, I'm going to say ciao for now, so enjoy playing games, take care, and I'll see you next time. To find out more about board games and the Broken Meeple in general, you can visit one of the three main avenues we have online. First up, there is the blog itself on www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find the Broken Meeple on Facebook. Please come and like the page and share your thoughts with me. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Broken Meeple. 